This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi and welcome to The Straits Times Health Check. I'm your host, Joyce Tio. This is part two of my insightful chat with Professor Wei Ying Yong from the Duke NUS Medical School's Programme in Emerging Infectious Diseases on the COVID situation in Singapore and vaccines. In this episode, he discusses the solution to combating new variants, touches on long COVID and tells us what to note about the different vaccines used here. Hi, Ying-Yong. Thanks for coming on Health Chair. Hello, Joyce. Thanks for having me. The thing with COVID, right? I mean, it's still raging around the world. So there will be new variants. Now there's the new variant mm, of interest. Mm. You know, how do you see the new COVID variants affecting the way we combat the pandemic well, here in Singapore? Mm. Um, I, I think we are in, still in very good shape. Um, and in some ways, I'm going to say this as a theoretical framework, and then we can talk about how feasible it is to, to make, make this happen. Um, theoretically, the best way to defend against the variants is to get a, an asymptomatic infection. Right? Because our, the vaccine has now taught us to recognize the spike protein of uh, the SARS-2 virus. But it hasn't seen uh, the rest of the virus. So 70-80% of the virus, uh, is the, the components of it has not been seen by our immune system. Right? We know from a lot of studies now that for those individuals that acquired a human coronavirus infection in the past, and then they developed T-cells that also recognize a component of, of the SARS-2 virus, these people don't get disease. And that's the ideal position to be in, right? That, you know, whatever variant comes, you're not going to fall sick. So, so what that means is that if we can now not just recognize the spike, but we can recognize the other components of the virus and especially train our killer T cells to, to be able to recognize and respond to these, our ability uh, to, and the resilience to be able to defend ourselves against new variants in the future would be great, right? So in other words, for those who are vaccinated, to get an asymptomatic infection now is arguably the best thing that can ever happen. Okay, now you're going to ask me, but how do you do that safely? Okay, that's where it gets a bit tricky, <laughs> yes. right? If we are really truly worried about future variants, we should be allowing Delta to spread slowly through our population. Don't let it spread too fast so that, you know, suddenly the, the 20% or so that remain unvaccinated now start to pop up. They start to get infected uh, and... and, and um, become seriously ill all at the same time, then surely that is going to impose a burden on, on uh, the hospitals. Uh, but at the same time, as we scale back, as we recognize that there will be cases, we have to accept that that's actually not a bad thing because we are actually making Singapore a lot more resilient to whatever other new variants that will appear in the future. That would probably put Singapore in a much better position in the future than to try and clamp down on every single infection and then isolating them from the community. Right, but that's tricky, right? I mean, it will involve some sacrifices. I think it can be done. I think it can be done safely. It will take a lot of courage. <laughs> to, mm -hmm. it, I think it can be done. The main problem with COVID is the severe cases. And that is what we just need to monitor. There are those that, of course, the, they'll say, well, quote, the, the severe cases appear later after the increased exp or expansion in number of COVID cases. Well, that is true, right? So, but that means that one, not only should we not bother about linked and unlinked cases, we should 
distinguish asymptomatic infection from true cases. Because right now, that number that we report, you can't tell whether the true cases are expanding or not. And if the true cases are expanding and are still mild, it means the vaccine is still working very well. So I think on the one hand, as we slowly scale back on some of these control measures, on the other hand, we should also still be very um, active in, in getting more and more of a population vaccinated. But I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that not everyone will want to be vaccinated, unfortunately, right? And we just have to respect their, their choice. But nonetheless, we cannot wait for 100%. It won't happen. Right, but children can't be vaccinated right now. And what you're suggesting is basically, you know, exposing the 20% to the risk, right? The, so, yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and it's a debate that's going on now. For instance, if you look at the recommendation from the committee in UK, they're not recommending uh, vaccination in children. The clinical trial for uh, children uh, uh, vaccination uh, is, is in progress. Hopefully in the you know, next uh, few weeks or months, we'll have uh, data and then we'll hopefully get into a point where we can um, have the authorization to vaccinate our children. But right now, it doesn't look like Delta is causing any more severe disease in children. Right, but in the US, there are all these reports, right? And also, you know, reports of pediatric ICUs filling up, etc. I mean, that's yeah. quite scary, actually. So, but you're saying they don't get seriously yeah, ill. Not so as much as this. Children, I mean, do they already have, also, do they already have, like, underlying medical conditions that make them more vulnerable? Uh, in, in the US, we're not seeing data yet. These are news reports, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to make any comment, I mean, but like I said, I think the part of the problem with the U.S. is that you know it's a quite a very it's quite a heterogeneous uh, population. So whilst we say U.S., what we probably mean are the southern states, right? That are less um, that have a lower rate of vaccination, and so there naturally there's a greater problem. I I think for us too, the the, the same can be said, right? Now we need to be very careful where we are drawing our lessons from. So, for instance, obviously Israel is, is a favourite because how fast they, they, they were able to implement their vaccination and get the uh, substantial proportion of their population vaccinated. But having said that, Israel isn't where Singapore is today. Right? And so, is that the place to draw our lessons from? Shouldn't perhaps the nearest is uh, you know, some places like UK? Right. No doubt their vaccination rate isn't as high and part of the immunity is derived from uh, the outbreak that they had last year. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Singapore needs to be uh, a little bit more choosy in their, mm. their comparator that they're using. Because if you look at US, right. it can be very alarming, but at the same time, you know, the vaccination rate, in, especially in some states, uh, are way below where we are and we should not worry that we will get to we will see what they're seeing because we, we have been vaccinated interesting so if we are vaccinated we are asymptomatic we should be fine right but there is this fear of long covid but asymptomatic people do not get long covid so for those who are vaccinated and then they come they get covid their their symptoms uh, the dura duration of the symptoms are a lot shorter than the unvaccinated when we say long COVID, we kind of say 
it's it's binary. You have or you don't. But there's also the severity. It's mm-hmm. not binary, right? The proportion who get long COVID mm-hmm. goes down, the duration goes down, and the severity also goes down. They, all these things add up. Mm-hmm. So okay. it, it, I think it's not helpful to think of, you know, binary terms do you have or you don't have it's like again and i use dengue because i am familiar with it but you know have one person having dengue versus another person having dengue could be completely separate things right to one person is no worse than a mild common cold yeah you have a fever don't feel well for a couple of days to another person they might feel that it's what is you know dying is not as bad as this and and i I, people who have had dengue that's the way they describe it is you know, dying is, is less of a problem than what they went through. Oh yeah. dear. Okay. <laughs> Sounds horrible. Yeah. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to the Health Chat Podcast by The Straits Times on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. And now back to my conversation with my guest, Professor Wei Eng Yong from Duke NUS Medical School. Um, so, okay, Eng Yong, you're the vaccine expert. What can you tell us about the different vaccines being used here? There's Sinovac and there's Sinopharm now. Mm-hmm. And is there anything about the different vaccines that people should take note of? Mm. So the ideally, the, the vaccines should give you the full range of protection. And, and the protection comes from um, the immune system that are composed of parts, right? And these parts talk to each other. They are, they are all very well coordinated. Uh, in a way, the, the analogy is like the Singapore Armed Forces or the SAF. We have our, the Army, we have the Air Force, and we have the Navy. Uh, and, and they don't function uh, independently of one another. They are very well coordinated. Right? So how the Air Force operate is will we'll take into account how the troops are going to operate on the ground, how the Navy is going to support. Similarly, that's how our immune system works. So first, you have the antibodies that, one, will block the virus from infection. But that's not the only function of the antibody. The antibody also recognizes cells that have been infected with the virus uh, and it will direct the, the cells to be killed. The cell is dead, the virus is also dead. So the, the, the immune system has figured that out and that's what the antibodies would do. Along with the antibody, you also have a, 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 the, the T cells, one to coordinate the entire immune response, the other one to kill the infected cells again, right? The killer T cells are very good at at their job and they recognize the virus in a different way from the antibodies. So in other words, the immune system has developed in such a way that it's taking multiple shots at this virus, no matter what the virus shows, it's somehow able to see it uh, and, and, and then direct its ability to defend against it. So therefore, in that context, the mRNA vaccine gives at least the opportunity for us to develop antibodies and the killer T cells against the spike protein because of the way the vaccine works. Right? So the T cells need to see the, the, the spike protein being made inside the cell. Whereas the vaccines such as the Sinopharm and Sinovac, these are killed viruses. So they are actually the SARS-2 virus grown cells in the lab and then chemically inactivated so that it won't make us sick. But when we use that kind of vaccine, we mostly develop antibodies against uh, the, the virus. There's not much in the way of killer T cells. So in other words, we now have uh, an armed forces where the army is very good, but there's really no, there's no air force. 
right? So yeah, it could defend you, but you're essentially limiting what you can do. Unless there are medical reasons not to receive the mRNA vaccine, then, you know, to me, based on what we have learned from a lot of vaccines in the past, uh, you know, getting the mRNA vaccine will give you a much better um, ability to defend against um, uh, SARS-2 virus and the variants because of the way killer T-cells work. I see. The ability, but does that affect the duration of the protection? Ah, Duration is, is, you know, is still anybody's guess right now, right? Um, there is no way of predicting which uh, vaccine will give more long-lasting uh, immunity. The, the best form of vaccine, the one that gives you a you know, single, single shot and gives you potentially lifelong immunity, are live vaccines. Uh, and it's going to be very difficult to develop a live vaccine for SARS-2 virus. So... It, I think some companies are still working on it, but it's going to take a long time because of the several considerations, for sure. One is that this virus can cause quite a severe infection. And two is that the vaccine itself could potentially also evolve because it's live. If we don't have, then we have settled for, in, in a way, the second best, right? The, the second tier. And some of these second tiers are very good. As long as you, you get the vaccine to elicit a full complement of the immune response, then I think our ability to defend ourselves will be good. Then even if one part of the immune system wanes, the other part can still compensate. But the short answer is that there's no way of predicting how long immunity will last. Right, so it's just a guess and uh, six-month uh, immunity right now for mRNA vaccines. Yeah, I never thought it was six months. I thought right. it was always going to be longer than that. Uh, you know, And again, it depends yeah. on what we measure, right? My, my guess is that there's some local data suggesting that M the efficacy of mRNA vaccine in preventing infection is 40 over percent. Um, that may be true. I haven't, again, I've not seen the data, but the vaccines were never, never designed to prevent infection. It's designed to prevent disease. So then if you look at other parts of the world, what's the effectiveness in preventing it against disease? It's somewhere between the range of 70 of a percent to 90 of a percent. And why I say that there's such a big range is because of the way the studies are now done. The clinical trial is the gold standard because when we did the study, we are blinded. So the, the, the person who received the vaccine didn't know whether they got vaccine or placebo. The doctor who did the study also did not know whether he injected the vaccine or placebo. And the people who monitored the trial didn't know who got vaccine, who got placebo. Until the trial is finished, and then you assign, you, you, you unblind the trial, now you know who got vaccine, who got placebo, and then you determine you know, whether your vaccine reduced cases compared to placebo. That's how it was determined. That, that's the 95% that we, we first saw. Subsequent to that, everything else is now no longer blinded. And the size of it, the, number, the, the samples that we now study are nowhere near the 20, the 20 to 40,000 uh, involved in the phase three trial. In other words, the studies that are now coming out to say, oh, you know, with Delta, with this, with Mu, whatever, they are not true clinical trials, right? And so these trials are now not so good, not the gold standard. So I would put a bit of, um, I, I wouldn't take these too seriously right now. You just have to monitor. I think to me, again, the, 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 the most important signal is the severe cases and ICU cases. And if we do see an increasing trend, especially amongst the vaccinated, I think we should be worried. 
but it, as you can see in MOH's data, the majority are unvaccinated it, 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 amongst the, the, the severe COVID cases. And that's the same throughout the world. Right. So we were left to you, you wouldn't be giving boosters after six no, months? definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Enyon, can you give us a quick update on what's happening with the vaccine that you at uh, Duke NUS are developing with Arturus in the United States? Yes. So the... The original version, uh, ARCT021, finished phase two trial. is is a, a starting phase three trial. That was the ARCT021 was built using the original um, spike gene sequence from the Wuhan strain, right? So that was when the virus first emerged. But of course, we know that the virus has since evolved in so many ways. Uh, and so we have taken the Arcturus has taken the lessons that we have learned from ARCT021 to now develop um, vaccines against the variants that function very well against the variants. Um, those are now in, also in phase two trial and hopefully perhaps even starting phase three. In fact, in, uh, in Vietnam, they're they are doing a continuous phase one, two, three trial. Right. So, you know, when can we actually see this vaccine? Uh, I, 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 hope, uh, I hope before the end of the year. I hope, but I'm in no control over this. <laughs> Right. Okay, so um, before we end, you know, we've been talking about the vaccines, about the situation here, you know, can you give us some tips? Is social distancing like a permanent feature of life? You know, what's going to happen? How do you see the future actually in the next year or so? Well, I guess um, uh, I should preface everything I'm going to say with uh, I'm not in charge of uh, the public health operations in Singapore. Uh, and so what I say right. is, is really my own personal view and, and that really doesn't reflect what uh, MOH or, or Singapore government's going to do. I, I, I think the, the way to open up is really to do it in stages, not to try and do it all at one go. Um, having said that, you know, when, when UK said Freedom Day, uh, everyone said it was going to be a disaster, but it hasn't been a disaster. Nonetheless, I think, you know, from a pragmatic and, and perhaps a, a more conservative point of view, we should certainly uh, start to do it in stages. Um, I think the first thing is reuniting people with loved ones. Um, it's important. It's important not just so that we can get on with our lives, but it is so important for, for our mental, for our emotional health, right? The other one I'm cognizant of is that, you know, the, the migrant workers, they've been locked up for a long time, right? And now I know we're, we're mm -hmm. beginning to let some of them out. And I, I like to see that population which helps Singapore to develop to where we are today with, with our infrastructure and all that. And they should not be left in, in isolation for so long. I think perhaps to me, the thing that we can live with the most is this masking. Personally, I like to take it off uh, as well. But perhaps amongst all the measures now, that's probably, the, uh, I, I think that we can tolerate. But the rest, I think we can, we should start to continue to keep moving in a positive direction. Right. Thank you for your time today, Enyong. Thanks, Thanks for helping Joyce. us understand what's happening right now. Thank you. I find all this very insightful. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, that's a wrap for Health Check. This is the end of a two-parter on COVID-19 and vaccines with Professor Wee Enyong from the Duke NUS Medical School's Program in Emerging Infectious Diseases. Do search for the first part of my chat with him on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. 
You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at the Straits Times, the Business Times, and Money FM eighty nine point three.